Welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Good morning, Dr. Jane. Good morning, Anna. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing just fine. It's good to be together again. Yes, it is. You know, we've covered a great deal of territory regarding how we can cope more efficiently and effectively with the changes that we've been dealt with in this pandemic. It seems like the tools and suggestions offered provide a blueprint, but yet there's, that, there's still that space between idea and action. What else may we consider as we launch into 2021? Well, I think the key word in your question is change. You know, the virus has presented a forced change uh, for all of us, you know, many new and unfamiliar external demands. And in turn, they required uh, appropriate responses and necessitated internal changes. You know, it's one of the reasons we, we talked about willingness and, and, and gratitude, because it, it's, it really takes that to be able to move us into the change process. Um, as we talked about in earlier conversations, um, you know, it, it really is the, the primitive brain that, that fear network that responds to things that are unfamiliar and very often treats change as a threat. So we're in reactivity and, and it's only because things are unfamiliar, but the unfamiliar is often perceived as being dangerous. So the response is fear and angst and anxiety. And, and this is what we're dealing with. So change very often is, is perceived as, as dangerous, and fear is, is the result of it. So my next question is, what helps us move through the fear when, well, when doing is really our, you know, for our own good and the greater good? Well, courage. Uh, courage is not the absence of fear. You know, it's really moving through fear. And for many, you know, when, when they hear the word courage, they think of it as a, a battlefield phenomenon, you know, that heroic act of the soldier risking their lives uh, or their life for another. Um, I, and I remember reading a quote by a, by a former soldier, a former U.S. senator, a one-time prisoner of war, John McCain, you know, and, and when he was talking about um, courage, and clearly he knows firsthand the horrors of war, you know, he talked about courage as that rare singular moment of unity between conscience and fear and action when all of a sudden something deep within us kind of strikes the flint of love and honor and duty and really sparks that flame to, to uh, fire up our resolve and we're able to move through what would be considered an impossible situation. You know, in his description really very, touched me very, very deeply. Um, it validated my own sense of courage and, you know, the courage that I've witnessed with others and sometimes that I've experienced myself, not on any war zone, you know, battlefield, but kind of in the battlefields of, of life on life's terms. You know, life can be messy and it can be extremely difficult. Yes, it certainly can. And, and there are many who have stepped forward in this crisis to take action that you know, has assisted others, which has just blown my mind. All the frontline workers have been amazing. And I'm thinking about, you know, them in particular, all the healthcare workers. They demonstrate such incredible courage. Absolutely. You know, and the word and, and its meaning has been addressed over the ages. 
You know, the Latin root of, of courage is cur, C-O-R, and it means heart. So, so what we're talking about then, when we talk about courage, is, is that belief, you know, that we believe in our hearts that we must do something, no matter how scary. You know, and the Greek philosopher Aristotle called the uh, uh, courage really the first of human qualities. So it was really a foundational piece. It's also been described as kind of the ladder that all the other virtues mount on. So what we have here is, is um, a virtue that very often is seen as the enforcing virtue, you know, because it makes all the other virtues possible. You know, honesty, integrity, compassion, you know, it requires bold moves through high risks, which trigger very often um, fear, apprehension, resistance, yet without these potential barriers and these disruptions, you know, there can be no courage because the easier, softer way really doesn't require it. So what you're saying is that without fear, there's no call for courage, right? And when we feel the fear and choose to act, courage is there to assist us. That's right. That's right. I mean, it becomes a conscious choice made from the heart, not the head. And it allows us to withstand the pressures of adversity, you know, and stand up for what we believe is right, which, which often means stepping away from my conditioned beliefs, my backstory, everything that's familiar. You know, this can be extremely difficult and, and sometimes even discouraging, you know, but, but this is making conscious choice to do the next right thing, which always requires courage. Yeah, so it's so often a tough choice and, and, and a tough path to take, you know. Well, it is. And it's why many operate by giving kind of lip service uh, to doing the right thing or are living lives of kind of selective ethics rather than making a daily commitment to right action and doing the right thing. Well, Dr. Jane, let's explore this more deeply. You know, what does it mean to live with commitment to do the next right thing? It means that we step out of our conditioned responses. It means we step out of the ordinary. We step into present moment awareness and we assess ourselves as we're making decisions. You know, are my intentions pure? You know, or do I have some personal gain here? Um, does it serve the best or great, greater good or, again, personal interest? You know, am I willing to communicate honestly, but, but honesty with compassion? Because sometimes in telling the truth without compassion feels kind of rough and edgy and can even feel uh, aggressive. But the main piece, you know, that we have to ask ourselves is, um, am I willing to act even if I may not get what I want? You know, and this is really kind of where the rubber meets the road and, and can be the deal breaker because, we all tend to attach to the results. We all tend to want to do things because I'm going to, I'm going to get a certain outcome or I'm, I'm counting on a certain outcome. That's a lot to ask of ourselves. And so often we do have an agenda and not necessarily, a, a, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we are looking for a certain outcome. Well, and that's the point. So often we're seeking a certain outcome. Um, and so this determines sometimes whether or not I'm going to act. And if I'm attached to that outcome, then the uncertainty will feel dangerous. 
you know, so I, I may feel reluctant to follow through, you know, and this is where courage comes in because the results are uncertain. We don't know how life is going to unfold. And yet, and yet if I follow through to do the right thing, because I feel it in my heart that it's the thing to do, that's what really makes the situation courageous. You know, doing the right thing can take any number of, almost infinite, infinite number of forms. You know, it can be a physical courage, a mental courage, emotional courage, spiritual courage, social courage. Um, every action counts. You know, we're making conscious choices or not. And, and choices as mundane as what do I consume? You know, a conscious choice of what, do am I, what am I putting in my mouth? You know, whether it's food or alcohol, drugs, or what am I consuming through news feeds or media? You know, it's what I think, how I treat myself, and, and how I treat others. Yeah. Well, this becomes part and, and partial to everything in life. <laughs> well, pretty much. You know, we're either living consciously or not, which means that, that, that courage is such an important piece because, it, and actually, it's really an imperative because live consciously and committed to right action, you know, it, it means that I, I have to sometimes stand alone and face adversity. Um, so it requires qualities like um, boldness and determination, diligence, commitment, you know, to, to kind of push through difficult situations. And these ingredients ignite courage and enable us to make conscious choices around right action. You know, much of the information around courage and about courage suggests that there are different types and clusters and attributes, certain behaviors that courageous people tend to demonstrate. You know, some are inherent qualities, they come from within, but often they can be learned and practiced. Well, what are some examples? Can you share some examples with us? Yes. You know, there's, there's some types of, of uh, courage, you know, like I mentioned, you know, physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual. Um, let's just take a look at some of them. You know, when you think about it, Anna, when we talk about physical courage, you know, we're talking about acting bravely, you know, even, even at the risk of physical harm. And we've all heard stories of uh, regular, ordinary citizens, you know, uh, pulling strangers out of burning vehicles, you know, after a, a, a car accident, you know, or the social courage of that, that interpersonal right action of of people taking a risk and standing up for what they believed was right you know it might be something in social justice when when maybe they stood the the chance of um uh, risking embarrassment or uh, losing their social standing you know there's intellectual courage you know which might involve challenging ideas or questioning another's ideas if they don't fit within a whole equation of serving a greater good you know, things like, you know, the, the people knew that the history books that had been written, you know, over the last few decades were sorely missing certain information, you know, that highlighted our government's policies and mistreatment of certain populations, whether it be Native Americans or people of color, you know, and yet people didn't step forward uh, because they didn't want to shake up the, the department. You know, there's spiritual courage, you know, that, that is activated when we're turning toward, you know, and questioning our belief system and our faith. You know, this is challenging the things that we've held as being so, you know, kind of almost fact and being willing to look at 
the meaning and purpose they bring to life, and how they affect the greater good. You know, and then there's moral courage, which is this broad brushstroke, kind of the full spectrum that really is facing, you know, right action and facing uh, difficult situations with that a sense within oneself that it's important, even if it means sacrifice or personal loss, to stand up for what's right and speak out for what's right. You know, and, and this is where we find ordinary people very often, whistleblowers or, or people who have really called out dangerous practices by companies and large corporations because they knew that it was wrong and they wanted to make a difference. So different situations may call for a different type of courage. Is well, that what you're saying? Yeah, and, and, and that's kind of how it's been written up in, in articles and journals. You know, my personal take is that courage is more aligned with the descri- description that I just gave of moral courage. You know, yet in different circumstances, you know, it may call for one or more aspects of ourselves, and therefore we, we may experience it differently. You know, the people we most admire, you know, if you check out those heroes and heroines that we've really looked up to, you know, and looked at how they demonstrated, you know, different qualities, you know, very often they are that mirror for us of what courage is because they reflect our own values. And, and so often they become models for us because truly they're the ones that, that believe in themselves, you know, and, and we see it through the, their histories and how they demonstrated it through their lives, you know, believed in themselves and were passionate about their values and behaved accordingly. I mean, it really is about walking like you talk, you know, and these heroes and heroines also lived with lives of honor and integrity and, and backed it with action and refused to let fear, you know, back them down. They were speaking out and they put the greater good very often before their own personal needs. So, it's, a, it's that willingness to stand alone and be outnumbered in the name of, of what's right. Um, these change agents very often that we admire. You know, they challenge the status quo and they're, they're, they're willing to challenge themselves and even admit to errors and move in different directions if that's what's called for. So it, it's also about, it's about this mirroring of being able to embrace uncertainty. You know, really living life on life's terms. And yet, being action-oriented in that life. Well, I know, Dr. Jane, you love to talk about the science and all this. So, <laughs> where does the science stand when it comes to courage? Well, the most fascinating work that I've been following comes out of a very specialized lab at the University of uh, Stanford at, uh, in California. And these are the Uberman labs. And they've currently been able to locate two adjacent a clusters of nerve cells in the brain of mice. And it's an area that I've never heard of before, and I was just fascinated by it. It's an area called the xiphoid nucleus, which is a just, it's like, ooh, that sounds like fun, you know. But what happens is when the mice are able to spot or sight something that is threatening to them, one of these clusters is activated, you know, and in being activated because it's a threat, it activates fearful and kind of timid behavior. And yet if the other nerve cluster is activated and they do this by you know, electrodes you know, in the lab, what's activated is this behavior that is bold and fierce. 
And so by selectively alternating this activation of the nerve cells, they can dispose the mice to either freeze and hide or aggressively kind of stand their ground when approached by a predator. You know, and the interesting point of this is that it underscores the fact that fear is a state, you know, and a state can be manipulated. It is actually something that we can maneuver at, and very often it's at will or within certain conditions. So what they're theorizing is that humans also have a similar equivalent circuitry and they're intent on finding non-invasive. By non-invasive, it's like they're not going to put electrodes in humans, but they're looking for non-invasive ways to shift this balance of signals and how they're perceived so that, that through practices and through learned behavior, one can actually, actually um, interpret what's coming at them as less threatening or what's happening to them as less dangerous. And this could provide incredible, incredible support for people with uh, high levels and severe anxiety, phobias, uh, PTSD. You know, it's that trauma that we talked about in the past could have an incredible um, impact on how people are treated and the outcome, being able to live more fully. Wow, that's, that's remarkable. You know, what would that look like, Dr. Jean? Well, really, you know, it, it looks like a lot of what we've talked about in previous conversations, you know, is understanding how fear is triggered, how the primitive brain is activated, and how we can develop skills to access the more evolved brain in order to um, calm it. And by activating the more evolved brain, that thinking brain, we're actually going to strengthen our capacity to be able to choose to self-regulate, actually access that in the moment so that we can settle ourselves down and determine what exactly is needed, what's the appropriate response here. And in doing this, it rewires the brain. And we've talked about that, you know, feeling that pull to the old behavior and in that moment, making another choice. And the Uberman Labs call this, um, they call it self-directed adaptive plasticity. And we talked a little bit in one of our previous episodes about the plasticity of the brain, which is why we can rewire the brain, why we can through regular changes, regular new choices, we can actually cause a different firing of neural pathways. And working with brain plasticity, we can reprogram these neural pathways. So the choice in that moment very often requires courage. We're choosing to do something different, and as a result, we're actually supporting our capacity to access courage because we're in the face of fear and apprehension, and yet we're choosing to do it anyway. We're choosing a, a, a choice. We're making a choice that is outside of our usual modus operandi, choosing something new. Yeah, this has always fascinated me, you know. So along with cultivating the values of a courageous character, understanding our fear is also very valuable. You know, this is incredibly important, Anna, because fear never really disappears. You know, and it's important that we confront our fears. It's important that we call them out. Um, remember, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's moving through the fear. It's moving with the fear. And if we don't move it, fear will control our lives. You know, and it can prevent us from, from 
not only right action, but it, it can keep us in unhealthy situations, you know, unhealthy behaviors, unhealthy relationships. Um, and we can also, you know, if all else fails, we can project it onto others, you know, and blame them for not having the life we want. You know, fear keeps us operating out of that smallest, weakest part of ourselves. I think it was Sigmund Freud who said something like, uh, fear makes children of all of us. So understanding fear and how it operates, we actually stand a chance to intervene in it. We stand a chance of being free from it. Well, I certainly think this is something that we can all relate to. Um, what are the starting points to recognizing the fear and then doing the next right thing? You know, uh, living courageously? Is well, that what that means? Yeah, living courageously. You know, the foundation is present moment awareness. You know, as I've said in every conversation, but it bears repeating, it's the only way to make conscious choice. You know, developing the awareness mindful muscle. You know, showing up in the moment and practicing, practicing moving from reactivity to sensing where it is and where it's located and occurring in our body, in our bodies. You know, it's going back to our videos, those earlier videos of the body scan, watching the thoughts, turning toward the discomfort, you know, all help us uh, cultivate this greater capacity to be with whatever is arising within us without feeding the drama without feeding the fear and reactivity, we're able to stay more fully in the more evolved part of the brain. You know, we're able to stay more more fully in the best and highest part of ourselves. And, and that's who we want driving the bus. You know, I don't want the weakest part of myself making life decisions. So specifically to support courage, you know, we need to look at things like allowing ourselves to feel the fear and respond in a way that is directed toward the next right thing. You know, checking it out. Am I following my heart? You know, am I able to persevere even in the face of opposition? Can I keep moving through this? Am I willing to stand up and speak out for what I believe is right? You know, and I also think what helps us on it is to be able to step out of the familiar, you know, try new things. And lastly, you know, trust the best and highest part of ourselves. That's incredibly important. And also power greater than yourself. Those two primary relationships, if they are grounded, everything else tends to unfold out of them. Wow, what a list. That's a challenging list with meaning and purpose, for sure. Thank you, Dr. Jane. I'm sure many of us will benefit significantly from this list. I'm looking forward to living more courageously. Until our next conversation. Thank you, Anna.